We're reading this morning from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 17, through to chapter 5, verse 2. This is the call to unity, to love and compassion. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm doing something different. I've actually got my Bible up here. I normally don't do that. I use the PowerPoints. I've got my old new, my old new King James. <laughs> because there's a, the, the, the way, there's some things that really stood out in this scripture that I wanted to bring out of that, so I'm going to move between it. Okay, so I got walking love. This is great. I've said it all the time. I love the fact that we... Do scripture in order. We do it in an orderly way. We read big chunks of scripture. I don't know how many times lately I've visited churches where I've never even seen a scripture read in a whole service. It just for me, it's it's just so strange. I love Willie Church. I love the way we do things. I love being here. Do you feel secure when you're here? Like I do, no matter what the week. You might be ratty. I don't know about you, I've had a ratty week. Things are going crazy. You all might know I've been writing a book for the last 10 years. 
an Anzac book and finally it's finished and it's at the printers and yeah, yeah. And just after Anzac Day we're launching it up in Western Victoria so it's been it's just madness I don't know if you've ever done anything like that or you know PhD or anything and that last time you push send and that's it it's finished it's done so yeah so I've had a mad week so I don't know what kind of week it is but gee it's good to be in church okay I when I read this scripture um, it's actually, I've got a three-point sermon. <laughs> I've never done that here, so this is really exciting for me. And I've got no pictures. Oh. We did Ephesus, I did Ephesus a while back. We've all been studying and working through the book of Ephesus. We've gone through three chapters of, of Paul talking this beautiful high-level language about Jesus, about creation, about everything. And then at the beginning of chapter uh, 4, you've got the transition where I call it, if this is your theology, like the last three chapters, then this is your life. And most of the letters, Paul's, all of Paul's do that. And even the book of Hebrews, and we're not sure, we, well, we know Paul didn't write it, but whoever wrote it was copying Paul's style. Because the same thing happens in Hebrews. They do a whole lot of theology in Hebrews, but in chapter 12, it makes the change and goes, so if this is your theology, this is your life. It's much less convicting to do the theology bit. But when you make the transition into life, it, it's convicting. I mean, even the scripture as it was read out, just going, oh, yeah, great. And so I'm reading it and I'm going, oh, great, I've got to preach that. You know, and, and you're meant to be this perfect, forget it. <laughs> So I'm preaching out of experience about this stuff. So have you ever had, ever had anyone read your mail? Especially now with like your phones and texts and things. I've got a guy who works beside me at work and when his phone... He grabs it and turns it upside down, you know, because he doesn't want anyone to see whatever's being texted. Remember the old, I remember the old days, I mentioned to my sister last night, we were brought up and taught that you never, would, you'd never open someone else's mail, Right? Like never, you would never ever touch an envelope, even when one comes addressed to my daughter. You know, you go, well, that's hers. It's for her to open and it'll sit there for 12 months because she's in Afghanistan and all this mail. But that's her mail, you know, unless it's a bill and then she's very happy for me to open it and to pay it. But you know what I mean? Especially if something's a personal letter. So imagine... Some of you might even keep a couple of letters that you maybe got. I've got some letters that I received as a kid that were just important and I've kept them like a trash hoarder that I am. But you look at that letter, you know what I mean? It's personal. It's important. It's addressed to me. And that really is the bottom line of what I want to share today is we as us, me as you. When scripture talks about we, we, it means us. It doesn't mean them. It means us. I will make sense out of this. When scripture says you, it means me. Well, you, me. You do understand, don't you? We is us, me is you. Because something. I'm, this seems really, and it's great that you shared about creation. I used to do that drive for 12 years. I seriously, and you do the same thing. You'd go through all the weather changes, through winter, through summer, through autumn, through spring, driving over that stupid bridge and amongst all the traffic, and you, and you would. All over the west, you just see the sun over Melbourne, and guess what happens when he drives home in the afternoon? The opposite. You're driving back into the sun, and the same thing. 
All the people driving in the opposite direction miss the glory. When you live in the western suburbs, you get the glory. <laughs> Serious. It really is. On many a time, I'd be shouting in the car, God, you are awesome. Look at that. You know, or some of the ships that come in are just ginormous. So God is the God of creation, and that's why we praise him like that. We've got a plant out the back. We kill plants at our place. But lately we've been doing well. And yeah, see, Karen's. Stop that, stop that. We used to kill plants, but lately we've been doing well. And there's a plant out the back that we even had in Willie, and it grows towards the sun. And however you turn the bowl, it's fascinating. Like, beep, a few weeks later, you know, if you've got plants like that, it'll turn to the sun. That's God, that's creation. He made that. It's a word that we don't like, especially if you're a creationist. Hardcore, adaptable. The plant is adaptable. It'll turn and follow the sun. If there's roots, plant, you put a plant down. If there's a water source over there, what do the roots do? Through the earth to the water source. Who made that? God. So this, this is something really stupid and profound, but this is what came out of me when I started looking into that this week. Is he surprised with mobile phones? Is God surprised with NBN being so late, but being this high tech? Does, is there anything that we can create that surprises God? And of course, the answer is no. Our theology and everything Paul has talked about says, you know, no, there's no. Yet, I so often hear people say, oh, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. And therefore, you have to interpret it, you know, especially from a theological angle. We do this all the time in Bible college. You have to interpret it according to what was happening then and blah, 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 blah. And yes, if you want to seriously look into you know, anthropology, theology, whatever, yes, you get into it. But the letter to Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter, just like the mail we get. And it's addressed to us. To we, to me, to us, to you. Yes, it's addressed to Ephesians, but did, are we surprising God that we're here today? 2,000 years later? That's not a true question. We're not surprising him. Yet a lot of people think that the culture of today, and because of electronics and, and all of this stuff, like Google, you know, the, the power of Google, we get this feeling that there's this antiquated gap between the, new, the Bible, what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, And it suits us. When we're talking about theology, it's not so important. But when we get to this stuff, the rubber hits the road stuff about life, it really suits to put that interpretation gap in. Oh, well, that was was then. And so often I hear that, especially with the younger people today don't know any different. And so whatever interpretation you hear, you just accept that interpretation. You don't have to interpret what we're looking at today. You don't have to, you don't have to go to Bible college. Stop swearing. That was easy. You know what I'm saying? When you look at it, and it's darn convicting. It really, it, 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 much easier. Just move on, get to the end, get to the next book of theology. Let's talk about how wonderful Jesus is. Well, we've done that. Now we're getting into the hard yard and it really is hard. It really is hard. It's hard. It's hard. 
So there's three points, and my overheads have gone all crazy because it came out of my Mac computer and went into a different computer, and you understand. Three points stand out, and this will be very simple points. They're not going to be 16-minute points, each one. The first one I want to make is the church leadership that stands out. Maybe last week, maybe last week you did it, but the, just before where we took off in chapter 4, there's a little section about apostles, prophets, teachers and evangelists and pastors. You know that section? I hear more sermons about that little section than I hear about what we're about to talk about today. It's so easy to talk about church leadership. Why? Because we're flipping possessed with church leadership. Megan will be nodding her head up the back there. Church leadership. What a week it has been for church leadership. What has happened in New Zealand is certainly overshadowed, but it hasn't got rid of the fact that George Pell has been sentenced. And they even played that sentence publicly so that everybody could understand what the judicial system is doing. And, of course, we all obviously agree with all of the things behind it all. But what I want to talk about is church leadership through history. This is not new. God is not surprised with what's happening at the moment. It grieves him far more than it grieves us. What has happened, we don't know truth. Only God is the one who understands truth. But nevertheless, and this is what... At the bottom I've got a little quote that's kind of missing. But this, this week I heard this and it really stood out to me. The church is no longer the moral voice to our society. Yet this society was built on the foundation stone of Christian education. We wouldn't have an education system in Australia if it wasn't for the church. Do you know what I mean? It's such an intricate, whatever the word is, part of our society. And when I heard this in light of what's been going on with the, the Catholic Church and the whole Royal Commission, and I thought, it's right. We no longer can walk out that door and stand on the corner and have a credibility to say, stop swearing. Stop swearing. Stop stealing. We, don't we? We've, we've kind of lost that through no fault of our own. Well, maybe. Because I wonder about church leadership. This is history. It, it's, this is not so surprised. It happens all the time. The Reformation is all about the corruption of the church at the time. Corruption in leadership, sadly, is just a direct derivative of the sin nature that's in us all. And if we get too much power, it's a lot harder to not let that power go bad. And so I want to ask the question is, whose fault is it that we've let church leadership get to that point of power? It's ours. And I think sometimes, I hope Megan doesn't mind me saying this, but I think sometimes we rely on our church leadership too much. We love pointing towards the church leadership to answer the question. We love trying to even make it possible. Well, what about the person who left church because of the leadership? You don't know what they said to me, what they did to me. Have you heard that one? Man, 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 I've heard that one millions of times. Oh, I don't go to that church anymore. Or I don't even go to church anymore. Why? Because of the leadership. If we rely too much on church leadership, we're going to put ourselves into a position to get hurt by a mistake. And sometimes church leaders can make some dumb, simple mistake. Why? Because they're just fallen idiots like the rest of us, trying to do their best. But we put them on this pedestal and we say, you have all the answers. So when I have a problem, where do I go? Not to the Word of God. Go to the church leader. 
And it means the church leader gets involved in that problem and it means all of a sudden that church leader is in a position of power. Now, if that church leader wants that, that's where all the trouble starts because they're answering the questions that we should be answering as mature Christians directly ourselves. Get my picture? So that's my first point. I'll finish there on that. Is that, yes, we've really been kicked in the guts with what's happened. It's so sad. It affects every church. And thank God, new professional development programs are already pouring into church systems. Every church denomination is putting new PDs in. I'm involved in that whole work right now. So that pastors can have much more, uh, how can you say, credibility and oversight. But do you get my point? Don't rely just that too much on church leadership because we're putting them into a position that's unfair for them and it's not fair for us and it's not what this whole book is about. So the next thing I want to put is this fantastic scripture and I just want to read it. It was almost the same, but it says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, woman, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Heavy language. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What a, what, a, what a wild thing to say. And it's where, once again, Paul messes with words. Spirit, mind, it doesn't matter. Heart, inside, everything that you are is what he's saying. Be renewed in everything that you think, everything that you are, and that you put on the new man or woman, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Put off, put on. A little point I want to make is don't try and fix. This is a really profound little theological point I'll drop with you here. So often we put all that pressure on the pastor, put all that pressure on the latest book, on the latest blog, on the latest thing, the latest YouTube clip, the latest, oh, my favourite preacher, Joyce Meyer, she's got the answer. We put all of this effort into trying to make my bad side better. Now, I know most of you probably don't think you have a bad side. I have a bad side. I have what I call the sin nature. And sadly, my theology says that it stays in me. Even I'm a Christian, I've still got a bad side. And all of my theology tells me that when Jesus returns, that's when bad side goes. But today, standing here before you now, tech, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Just so hard to believe. Ask this woman. (laughs) She'll tell you all about it. Ask any wife, any husband, hey. We all have, and you know, I'll say a bad side. But you know what what we can't we all try and fix the bad side. We spend all of our energy trying to fix the bad side. Oh, like as in, you know, the whole like something like swearing, you know, we try and fix the thing that we think is bung in the bad side. That is not a scriptural precedent. The scriptural precedent is kill it. Kill it. I am crucified. You just, and that's what the language says here. Put off. Put off the old man. Put put it off. Put it. Don't try and renew. Sin doesn't get better. Have you found that? Sin doesn't get better. You can't better a sin, which is why we do forgiveness. Because you can't better that sin. You've just hurt someone this week. You can't better it, can you? You have to ask forgiveness. That person then has to put it off. Isn't it interesting? You can't better sin. If sin has entered a relationship, the only way you can fix it is to put it off. 
Beg forgiveness. Do what scripture says. You can't try and... We all know. You do something that's like naughty, whatever it is. Even if, and so what you do is you do three better things for the person you did naughty against, don't you? Yeah, we try and stack it up. Oh, well, you know, I sinned, but if I don't mention it or if I... If, I know, like most families, we just won't mention it. Oh, yeah, that's a beauty, isn't it? So some wretched sin... And, oh, man, this happens. Some wretched sin is consistently in the family, consistently going on, and yet we consistently don't mention it, let it sit there and think that if we do good things, we can combat. We never happen, does it? It never, ever, ever happens. Sin can never get better. It can only be defeated and ripped away. It can only be killed off and thank God our, our Jesus went to the cross. Everything Kate said. We're at the foot of the cross. Why? Because that's where sin is dealt with. I can't make it better. I can only put it off. And if I can, I can put it off by saying, sorry, fan, just do it. It's so hard though, isn't it? Especially if it's that consistent sin. And some of you now would be going, oh, yeah, my brother. <laughs> it's always someone else. But you know what I mean? In a family, I'm serious. There can be just someone wretched wretched little sin but it consistently sits there and doesn't it it can just over the years it can it could just fester it's like doesn't it we all know i'm not talking this is life isn't it don't try and fix sin put it off get rid of it just put it off but that means you have to do the opposite action forgive ask forgiveness you have to you don't just do nice things i made my point i think there Sin nature inside of you doesn't get better. The text that is a pain in the backside, the text that does miss it, is never ever going to get any better. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because so gee, we try. Lord, make me a, you know that prayer. Lord, make me a better person. He says, "Well, kill your sin, kill that part of your nature, kill it." Text. Kill it. Oh, well, maybe. Don't we? We have our little arguments that, oh, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll kill half of it. Or what about this one? God hasn't told me it's a sin yet. <laughs> and when he tells me, I'll deal with it. No, you know, this, this is what this whole thing's all about. All we've got to do is read our letter. It's very clear in the letter. Like I said, don't swear, don't steal, don't lie. How's your tax return going? I'm hopeless at that. I'm hopeless at admin. We need a wife who's good at it, don't we? I'm hopeless at that stuff. It's so easy, isn't it, to let the bad side sway over the good. Knock it off. That's what we've been told to do. So our last point, holiness hurts. The language that he uses here, uh, and even the language in that song, set me apart. Holiness simply means to be set apart. And the whole purpose of, I believe, what is written there is it's written explicitly. Why? Because it gives us no wiggle room. <laughs> we can't wiggle around God and say, oh, well, you know, half of me is bad because you gave, let me have a sin nature, you know, and wiggle our way into what about here it comes, here it comes. That's just the way I am. Ugh. Isn't it? Isn't that a killer? That's just the way I am. What a load of... It is not just the way you are because according to the word of God, you can put off that 
wretched thing that you're now just letting rule your life, that anger, that bitterness about a certain person. Oh, man, that just kills family. It kills atmosphere. It kills friendships. It kills church. It kills people. Just that wretched, oh, but that's just the way I am. Oh, guitarists that won't turn down. Drummers that play too loud in church. Oh, but that's just the way I am. Meet my bad side. <laughs> it's a right. <laughs> we all know what we're talking about here, don't we? It's those, just the way that we wiggle ourselves around having to deal with things. Holiness hurts. And the next scripture, when you just read, I'll just read what it says. So the first one says, put off your former conduct, the old man, the old woman. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that is completely inside with the Holy Spirit that you put on the new man. And then the next line says, therefore, and this is interesting, putting away lying. Putting away. So you've got put, put off the dead, the sin. Put on the new man or new woman, right? Then put away. Put it away. Get rid of it. Isn't that interesting? That's how we deal with sin. We first come to God, we recognise I have a sin nature and I've just blown it. Oh, I, I will blow it <laughs> in the future this week somewhere. I'll say something stupid. I'm so good at that. And never know that I've just hurt someone. It's, oh, I hate that sin that you don't know you've done. You need that person to come to you, don't you? You need action. You can't just let it go. And so um, in dealing with that, the whole idea is you, you, you put off the old, you put on the new, you recognise that's between you and God. That's, that's Holy Spirit, right? Then you turn and you put off, put away, put it away, kick it away. Do you want me to read what it says we've got to put away? No. You sure? Yeah. It's not pretty. Be angry and do not sin. What is it down the bottom? Before we remember one another. Be angry and do not sin. We could park on that. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We could park on that. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, uh, working with his hands, that he may do something to give someone in the need. What an incredible thing to say. Our motivation to go to work this week should be to make enough money that we can put money aside to give to someone who doesn't have money. That's, that's high stuff, isn't it? That's serious holiness. I don't know about you, but I, I don't do that. I just don't drive down the Westgate thinking, Lord, help me today to earn good money so that I have enough money to be able to give plenty to someone who's in need. Too convicting. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But what is good and necessary for edification. In other words, do not put anyone down this week. Build them up. Isn't it so sad that George Pell or anyone else that might be convicted of a crime, our society is beginning to say to us, just reject them. Reject them. And even a former Prime Minister has been hassled over the fact that he's not going to reject a friend no matter what the friend did. Isn't it? That's, that's the deep kind of connections we're meant to have. That we forgive, we understand, we don't reject people. Oh, this is too convicting. And finally, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away 
See it again? Put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. It's just so clear, isn't it? Just as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the line that is the, the, um, the title. Therefore, be followers of God, dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice. So at the end, I actually would like to read this little thing out of Hebrews. This is a really fascinating little verse. Pursue peace with everyone, which pretty much covers everything. But look at what it says. And holiness. So pursue holiness, without which none will see the Lord. There's probably a few different ways in whatever language that you could make that work. In who, who's it talking about? But for me, if the world can't see holiness, they're not going to see Jesus. Pursue holiness without which none will see the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The church has lost its moral standing in society. And the reason for that is leadership? Not really. We could blame the leadership. But it's probably because if they heard us tell that bad joke or laugh at that stupid joke, the holiness, the letter's written to us. For each one of us, it's our own prerogative and our own responsibility to live a holy life. When our society sees us, the church people, not the flippin' leaders, I'm tired of hearing about Brian Houston, no matter how close a relative he might be. I am so tired of hearing about the mega pastors because what you guys are doing in here is so much more profound. You have learned how to look after one another. That is profound, really profound. Let's take our eyes off leadership. Let's take responsibility and let's this week show the world holiness, what it means to be set apart. Show our families what it means that, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be set apart. I will ask forgiveness. I'm going to be set apart. Why? Because then people will see Jesus. And for all of the mistakes that have been made, for all of the grieving that has gone on, people will see Jesus. Why? Because they've seen holiness in a whole bunch of crazy people, all with different lives, you know, mechanics, engineers, all with different lives, but we are all got that same thing that holds us together. The holiness, the set-apartness of Jesus Christ. Amen?